Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks for joining me for the second act of my chat with the brilliant John Slattery. You don't want me cluttering up the stage. You want to get on with the show. All right, here he is. Here's the second part of our conversation. Stage door, John and Company. This is your call for the top of Act Two. Mr. Slattery and Mr. Cake to the stage, please. Act Two beginners. Let's move from real-life tragedy to Nathan Lane. You've done three shows... Count them. With Nathan. Three shows. Lisbon Traviata. You yeah. did Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Yeah. And then you did Front Page. Yeah. Now, I mean, Nathan is this extraordinary thing, right? He is. He's this sort of the Pope of Broadway. He's sort of, you know, the yeah. greatest modern American actor. Yeah. What's it like acting with him? That's what you want. You know, you want to right. be with the best guy there is, tossing it back and forth. Lisbon Traviata, we didn't have any scenes together. Laughter on the 23rd Floor was a big ensemble and him. About Neil Simon play about Sid Caesar. About played the Sid by... Caesar show, your show of shows. That's right. It was a little bit of an amalgam of period time periods that Neil Simon wrote right. for Sid Caesar. Comedy writers. Comedy writers in a room. In a room. In the 50s. That's right. Sid Caesar, the show gets, you know, is it's all about ratings and sketches and... With the greatest cast, we did it for a year. Right, incredible. Nathan, J.K. Simmons, Martin <sighs> Baker, Randy Graff, <sighs> Louis J. Stadlin, as Nathan would say, the three most exciting words in show business. Uh, Biddy Schram, who was uh, then went on to television fame doing Monk. She oh, yeah. was the sort of ditzy secretary, right. which is probably, they probably saw her doing this because right. that's what she was in this. Right. She was hilarious. Right. Uh, Stephen Mailer. I'm trying to find Ron Orbach yeah. played the Mel Brooks character. Wow. So what's it like working with Nathan? Yeah. I've been in his dressing room after yeah. shows. That's quite a scary yeah. experience. Well, uh, he, he can be scary. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, he's he's that good. He makes no bones about his effort to, or or his expectation that everyone else will be as good. Right. Or, or at least of that level. Yeah. You know, comes in knowing all his lines. Does he? That's true. Interesting. Yeah, and he's just the best. I mean, he's the funniest, yeah. obviously. Yeah. One night, he just did everything different. He did, I remember one night in Laughter on the 23rd Floor, which, as I said, ran a year, and it was a lot of jokes. I mean, and this thing killed. Yeah. And then Frank Rich wrote a not so great review of it. I think it was the second review, second, his second to last review was he did Angels in America. Part one, laughter on the twenty third floor. I think Angels in America, part two, and we were sandwiched in in you know in between right. this epic thing that he loved so much, and ours was like, man, mm-hmm. the jokes hit as often as they miss as often as they hit, which may have been true, and it might not have been the greatest play in the world, but we would get laughs in this thing that you'd just be standing there looking at the other person. And then you'd shrug, and then the laugh would start again. Just and wave up the wave up the wave of it. Waves. People, I, people would stand up and sit down again. <laughs> you'd look out in the audience, and somebody would start laughing, and he'd stand up and laugh, and then sit back down again. It was it was incredible. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun, you know. And then in the front page, we got to do. It was all there were long stretches where it was just the two of us. Yeah. And it was fun. Yeah. Really fun. Yeah. Because he's just the best. Yeah. And brings you up and serves it up so well. And it's just the You must the really feel like you have to be on your metal sharing that scene with him. But, you know, he is the same way. It's not like he doesn't 
he'd come out and he'd be pacing and looking, making sure his props were there. Huh. And he he deeply cares. Oh God, of course. About every moment on that stage. Right. And uh, you said and, one and night he changed everything. Oh, in, in laughter on the twenty third floor. One night we've been doing it now. We did it for a year. You yeah. can imagine it yeah. just gets really. You have to you have to somehow find a way to stay interested. Not interested, but but yeah, present, know, fresh, live, whatever, fresh. alive. And he just did every line reading, got every laugh, doing a different line reading than he had ever done. Wow! And then the curtain came down. He's like, "That wasn't bad, was it?" Like he knew exactly what he was doing, and he was just doing it just to see if he could. Goodness gracious! Yeah. And then would he do a blend of the sort of? Or well, we see, just it was keep the, you know, the laughs new? would be there, and they, everybody would move around in that you know structure as you do. You know, it's it's it's. If you came on two successive nights, you know, you'd, you'd see that it was different, but yeah. it wasn't, you weren't reinventing it. Yeah, sure. Because those laughs are, you know, they're, they're to do with rhythm. They're to do with yeah. a particular type of timing. And particularly with Neil Simon, I bet. Right. Is he in the room, by the way, when you oh, were asking? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jerry Zachs directed it. Did that feel like a pressure? I mean, you're doing a, a play about comedy oh, yeah. writers, and it sounds like a sort of famously funny production. Did you ever feel the pressure to be funny? I couldn't get an audition for this play. And I was doing a play with Elaine Stritch in Boston, a two-hander, not not quite a two, mostly a two-hander with Elaine Stritch. What was that? What was the play? It was called Cakewalk. Oh. And it was anything but. But we were doing that, and this play was happening. I think I had been out, well, we did it at the Richard Rogers Theater. I was outside the theater in a phone booth calling my agent saying, tell them, just tell them I'm outside. Just give me five minutes. And I learned all the material, you know, the material. And they said, they said, okay, I'll call you back. And he, wow, you asked to get in the to room. To get in the room, and then he called me back and said, they said absolutely not. <laughs> and then I had to go to Los Angeles, and I guess I don't know when. I forget the chronology. I'm not good at it, but I think I then I got an audition in Los Angeles because they went out to find to find some more actors out there because they just, hadn't fully cast it. You just and kept they, crossing the country, and they finally let me in. This is good. No, so I'll tell you what. I said, did L.A. first. Then, then, then they said, whatever. They went to New York. I had done my first audition. I was doing the play with Elaine. They said, they want to see you again. You have to do it for Neil Simon now. And I was like, oh. So I went down to, to New York and did my audition. And I was so nervous oh, God. that I took beta blockers. And I took so many that I could barely walk up the steps because <laughs> my blood pressure was – I had to like stop halfway up the steps to rest. I was 25 years old or whatever. But because I was like, I'll be goddamned if my nerves are going to get in the way of this of this process. Yeah. And I and I got in and I just dealt every one of these jokes and it was fast to the point where Jerry Zachs had to tell the reader to keep up with me. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Manny Eisenberg, Neil Simon, Leonard Soloway, the great Leonard Soloway yeah. who I love, and Jerry Zachs. And I... Tough crowd. I, tough comedy yeah, crowd. Yeah. And I did my audition and I went out and then I called the agent. I think I was in the phone booth outside in Midtown. And he said, he called, he said, I'll call you back. And then he said, you got the part. He, he didn't say that person. He said, I can't believe it. You did it. And it was basically like, they were just like, forget it. It's not going to happen. You're never going to get wow. in. And I... Then I got it, and I finally got it. Oh, you must have felt good about that. I felt so good. And then we did a read-through at the promenade, not the promenade, the second stage, like the first day we did a read-through with a bunch of people. We all gathered at the second stage upstairs, which was in the same building as the promenade theater, 76th Street. And we did a reading, and that was nerve-wracking. That was the first time I'd ever acted with all that, right. that group and Nathan and, yeah. and all these people that I had seen in plays. Well, you've been in a play with Nathan by that point. I had been in a play but with Nathan, but I was, scene, yeah. but I was, you know, this was a different thing. And did you feel, did you manage to, did you feel like you got, kept your end up amongst that? I did. I did. I, I, we, we were, we were a very tight company and, and, but, but they, you know, notoriously fired somebody in, you know, always, someone always got right. fired from sure. Neil Simon's sure. play. Oh God, I can't. And sure enough, on our last day in town, and that was the day that they usually would fire people. Nathan and I went out to lunch together. And looking back, I was like, well, that was the closest, you know, thank God I, I, I wish I had known then that the fact that Nathan, Nathan would even have lunch with me right. meant that I was probably safe. <laughs> right. 
Because I said, he goes, well, you know, they, someone's going to go. And I said, oh, God, I hope it isn't me. And I remember he told me while we were, like, eating soup at the Broadway, whatever that diner was down by 890. 890, right? 890 Broadway was the rehearsal building. That's where everybody rehearsed right. plays, musicals, everything. Right. Some diner, and he goes, and I'll only be you. And it was Paul Provenza. Who was playing the Mel Brooks part, and he, the poor guy, got let go. God. Is there a secret? Did you feel like there was a secret to, to trying to? But you can't take beta blockers the uh, the whole time, or can you? No, I never took. The only time I've ever taken those things was for auditions. Auditions, right? Because the last thing you want when you're trying to be funny is to feel so fucking tense that you might get fired if you're not funny enough, right? Isn't it presumably yeah. this has to become from yeah. a place of sort of relaxation and has to. freedom. It's very precise. Is there any secret for you? In You've been in these really high pressure, everybody's being funny rooms. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you you take beta blockers to get the job <laughs> and then you... And then, you know, then you get over it after the second day or so okay. or whatever. You just work. You know, it's just work and the material is uh, okay. so good that, you know, you, if you know how to tell a joke, then okay. you know where it comes okay. and, you're, and you're there and Nathan's on the other end yeah. of it and you're just like, okay. You believe in yourself somewhere, though, fundamentally. You have to. But you you have to. You have to not even yourself. You're not even. That's not even. You can't be even a, even a question. Right. 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 You have to just right. get on with it. And, right. and, if, and if it isn't working, someone's going to tell you. You know, you'll get a look from Jerry Zaks would give you a, a dirty look and you'd be like, uh, we would come in there was a big blackboard old school slate green on one side black on the other side that would roll around and you'd flip it over and everything and that was sort of the curtain behind which we would sit in a group of chairs and your bags and your coffees and everything you'd, and you'd change your shoes when you got to rehearse whatever you know you it was you put on hard shoes you know and right. some semblance of a we were all wearing suits and ties right. and stuff so you'd have a tie and a jacket and you just think, oh, God. <laughs> Somebody might have written on the board something like, please don't let me get fired today or, or God help me or something. But Louis, even Louis Stadlin would be like, oh, God, please. Uh, well, if you're all feeling that group yeah. sense well, of desperation. And in a, yeah. in a way, I suppose it must have mirrored the play because everyone is in that piece. I'm presuming is sort of auditioning That's the humor, opening premise comedy of the, of the thing. For everybody. Is this funny? Is this funny? Is this funny? Being funny. Miller, yeah, opens the play and says, it was 1957, we were working for the Sid Caesar, it was the greatest job right. I ever had, and Lou Stadlin comes in, Milt Fields, he uh, lived in Larchmont, was, uh, went on to write the blah, blah, blah show, and he goes, was, was famous for a volume, a lot of volume, a lot of bad jokes, a lot of great jokes, volume, had a million of them, <laughs> and then he comes in and he's literally wearing a beret, a cape, and a white suit, and it says, I did it, you know, uh, I forget the joke, Larchmont to 57th Street, 20, you know, two hours, 37 minutes, imagine if I had a car, ba -dum -bum, and, and goes to the coffee thing, and you know, everybody had a joke on the way in. Right, right, an entrance joke, whoa. Oh, there's so many stories I have about this fucking play. Well, don't there feel were, like you can't tell them. Everybody had a joke, mine was... Oh, such a good joke. I came in and I said, and I was the last one in. So oh, my God. This everybody, is like you're taking your clothes off everybody and Everybody kills. J.K. Simmons comes oh. in and coughs for like the like 30 <laughs> seconds straight. He goes, hey, and coughs and, and coughs and coughs and then says something about, I forget what his joke was. Yeah, no, I feel fine. And, and that gets a huge laugh. And, oh, Lou Stadlin's character was wearing a white suit. And Max, the Sid Caesar character, famously, hey, why are you, doing, why are you wearing a white suit? Everybody knows he hates white suits. And he's like, what? Nobody ever told me. And and so he's crawling, hiding under the coffee table. <laughs> and it's just this. And then by the time I come in, and whatever, by the time I came in, my joke is he goes, aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to tell me what I look like, Mr. Comedy, Mr. Mr. Sophistication? And I pause, look at him and say, the first rabbi in the Amazon. And <laughs> it gets a laugh. This thing, by then there's so much context built up. And, and, and he's, it's a circus about this white suit. That the laugh went on for like, you know, we would just stand there and he'd start to nod and I'd go, eh, yeah. Because you're right at the end of this sequence this of sequence. expectation, yeah, right? Incredible. Well, that's it. That's what I always think about, about laughter in the theater. Obviously, this is a hand tooled by one of the oh. great masters of comedy played by all these masters of comedy. Yeah. But isn't laughter in the theater so much about understanding as much as being slayed by a joke? I often think that people laugh in the theater at things that they would never laugh 
if they're in a bar or out in the st- talking on the street. But we get it. It's it's the way in which an audience all understands something at the same time. Yeah. They recognize the truth of it. Because you came in at the end and this whole thing had been built up, you could probably it was a laugh. It was like a domino effect of laughter. Yeah, right? but the material has to has to has to sure, deliver. rise to the occasion. Oh, deliver. Absolutely. I mean, if it's it's like Jackie Gleason, you'd watch those. You know, you'd see the joke coming a mile away. Right. It's been, it's all they've been talking about right. for 20 minutes. Right. And then he gets right. to the restaurant, looks at the check right. and then does this, you know, take about the, right. whatever the joke right. is. And, and if it's, you know, you've delivered on something that they've been waiting for yeah. for 10 or 20 minutes. But I think it wouldn't, this is just my pet theory, that it wouldn't be the same on screen because the audience that's been with you in mm. the room mm. has built this thing up this cork which is going to pop come the last payoff we all understand what we're seeing together Mm. and the fact of the communality of it i think is what delivers that course you've got to have the line you've got to be good you've got to deliver it right but at the same time the sense of a shared understanding of it shoots it over the edge i think these you know the great masters of comedy in the theater understand that crowd dynamics work a particular way we did this play at duke university so so you rehearse in new york and then you go out of town to do an out-of-town tryout now with the connecticut or dc or someplace and at that time manny azenberg neil simon's longtime producer was on the faculty at duke university so we did it at the Duke at, at Duke University, and and which is in Chapel Hill, and and that's where we worked out the bugs. And one day I came off stage, Neil was standing there, and he said, "That's I'm going to cut that joke." And I was like, "Oh no!" He goes, "No, that's a three. There's three about three hundred people. That gets about three hundred people. These two jokes, two little, you know, jokelets that I had." And he said, "Watch what happens. I'm going to cut that one. I'm going to cut that one." You'll get a thousand people will laugh at the last one. And you go, okay. And the next night, sure enough, you cut those two things and it's building, it builds. And then you just kill with the last, the last joke on the page instead. It's incredible. And he would say that, or he would also write things on the back of an envelope. He'd go, wait, Mel Brooks would come in at 11 o'clock in the morning. Everybody else had been at work at nine o'clock. He'd come in and he'd do something outrageous and drive everybody, all the writers crazy because Sid Caesar loved him so much. So he says something like, his line is, oh, I see, I'm crazy. Like Tolstoy was crazy. Like Dostoevsky was crazy. And he goes, and then when he says that, you say, give me a piece of paper. And he writes on this thing, and I can't, I don't know where the fuck I threw this thing away. And he said, when he says that, you say, no, they were crazy in a, I think the line was, like, they, they were crazy in a genius way. You're sort of a fucking waste of time crazy. <laughs> and that line, that laugh went on for, you know. A long time. Nathan and I had a joke. I forget. It was something about cereal. And he punched me once after we came off stage because I waited to, because I milked the thing. He's like, just fucking say the next line. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he's waiting. He's got a. He's waiting. He's got his own meter. And I'm like, let's see how long this will go. And he's just like looking at me like. Oh. And I remember he was just like, just fucking. Oh, that's great. Just don't. When you say punched you. Literally punched me. In the face? No, no, no. Just like socked me on the arm. Like, right. come, come on, will you? Right. Stop fucking just, around. Just slightly too hard. I was, I was, you know. I was, you were trying. I was trying. You were trying something. Around. Yeah, sure. I was milking it. And I had gotten, and maybe, you know, I don't think he was mad that I got in the laugh, but I think he was mad that I had milked the laugh longer than. They, Jerry's, everybody used to talk about, the, I mean, the thing is, it was all about comedy all the time. And Neil was telling these stories and he was happy because this was a great time in his life. And mm. Sometimes you would do a Neil Simon play and it was tense. And this was, right. it was tense, but it was creative and it was working. And they would talk about like Zero Mustel, like Milking Line. He'd right. go, and Jerry Zachs was in that production of Fiddler on the Roof. He played Muddle the Tailor. Oh, wow. And Zero would grab him and he, he'd, he'd tell a joke and he'd get the laugh and then... He'd just be looking out in the audience, and 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 Jerry Zachs would go to do something. He'd go, "Don't move, don't move." Oh. He's smiling, he's got a smile, pleasant. He goes, "Don't move, don't move. Wait, don't move. Don't. Okay, go ahead." Wow! While the audience was roaring with laughter, he would just be like, "Stand still, don't you move, don't, don't and do it anything breaks stupid. it." Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So it was that kind of like, yeah. that's what we were doing. And he, and he said, "He goes, you know, everybody should go to the gym." I remember him telling everybody, 
Jerry had a lot of rules like don't talk to the other actors, don't talk about their performance, don't talk about your performance. It's none of their business. It's none of your business. It's only my business. Legendary comedy director Jerry Zachs, yeah. right? You know, I was a kid. I was like, don't talk about set. your performance. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about other people's performance. Don't give anybody notes. Don't tell oh, anything. Don't. I, I don't want. To, I don't want anybody talking to anybody else about their performances. Yeah, it was very. He was very rigid, and and it was it was scary. And he said you should go to the gym. He said you should go to the gym because this is going to be like an athletic performance because right. this thing is going to go so fast and the thing has to be so tight that you better be in shape. Right. And he was right. It was Jesus, like Jesus. What a comedy yeah. training. Probably yeah, you might really have needed it by then, but. I mean, it sounded like yeah, going to intense Olympic comedy school. Well, because you would drop a line. Eventually, somebody would go right. blurry-eyed. The whole thing would just stop. It was this right. circuit thing board. ripping around yeah. the room, and all of a sudden, it would stop. And somebody, somebody would go, and say the line. Or or somebody else would say their line for them. Right. Oh, it happened. Wow. We all, it all happened to everybody. Oh, wow. Somebody would just go, look over and see that you were just dollar signs or lemons in your eyes and, and go and say your line for right, you. Right. And it would just, and the thing would, it would be a fraction of a second and you'd right. go, thank you. Yeah. I did a play with Matthew Broderick uh, at Roundabout. What play? I can't tell you because this, I can't tell you about the actor. Was that, did I see it? Yeah, I think you probably did. Let's not, must have. Uh, but it, it will become apparent. So if an actor came in who subsequently become a very good friend of mine, but he came in with all his lines learned, hmm. all of them. And one by one, he forgot them all. Oh. As the, as the rehearsals oh. went on, he sort of did as the theatrical Benjamin Button. <laughs> he sort of unlearned them. So much so that he came to a massive two or three page monologue. And we, towards That's the end true. of the run, he, he would just be turning to us and go, help me. Oh. Help me? Anybody? And it, it was oh. so long. That you couldn't do what you did on laughter on the twenty third floor. You couldn't just pop him into a, you know, you could pop a, a couple of yeah. prompt lines, but you, you were like, we just oh. tried to hide ourselves behind sofas while this poor guy yeah. faced this sort of theatrical nervous breakdown. Do you know, by the way, before we move on past Nathan, do we, do you know the story that is probably apocryphal about him being prevailed upon to do a Q and A after a performance of Butley? You know, he did uh, Simon Gray play yeah, called yeah, Butley yeah. up at so, Broadway. Yeah. Right. This may not be anyway, true. Yeah. I just got... <laughs> I was told this. <laughs> so I'm going to tell it anyway. He uh, he hates Q&As. Who doesn't hate Q&As? Yeah. But he... Uh, management were like, oh, please, come on. We need yeah. to sell some tickets. He said, okay, okay, I'll go out. So he came out. The first question was from an old lady at the back. And she said, I just want to ask Mr. Lane, why do you always do... The same thing. To which point he he paused and said, "Well, um, fuck you, lady. I don't know. Fuck you. Did you ever hear me do that before? That's a new one, huh?" And left. I've never heard that. I know it can't be true, can it? I don't know. I've got to get him on. I've got to get him on here. I've got to get him on here and ask him. So look, from Neil Simon to Pinter. Oh. You did yeah. a production of another one of my sober. favorite. Yeah. Oh, it was another sober. Yeah, he sobs. Oh, God, you he can't sobs. stop sobbing and he taking like, your sobs. clothes off. He we- he cries. He sniffles. He he weeps. No, he sobs. Pinter Pinter writes that I in. Believe it, oh, in that I, case, maybe he, Pinter didn't say sobs. Long day's journey. He sobs. Yeah, right. Play. Did you do yeah. that play? Yeah. Why isn't IMDb or Playbill telling me all this stuff? All I've got is like sort of seven plays. What was the... Oh, by the way, I want to anyway. ask you about Elaine Stretch. Anyway, get back to Pinter. You did Betrayal, one of my favorite plays. I did. Uh, with Liev Schreiber. I did. And the extraordinary Juliette Binoche. Yes. And directed by David Laveau. Mm-hmm. Uh, who I haven't seen since. I'd love to see this. Yeah. Well, at the time, I mean, I think, you know, he was like the preeminent Pinter yeah. director in the world, yeah. right? It, yeah. was a, it was a... Huge deal. What do you? What do you? What was it like playing Pinter? What do you remember of that? Apart from something, I remember. I remember he had done this play somewhere else before, and he told us this was something that I probably would have taken issue with had I been, you know, older. John Slattery. He said, "You'll find that this is a good time." No, we we didn't do any. We got up, stood up right away, book in hand. For those that don't know, you 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 normally spend a, at least a few days sitting around the table, reading the text and. 
asking all the questions that you yeah. think of, you go reading it and reading it and reading. So that by the time you stand up, you basically know, okay, I come in the door here and you know, you're holding the book in your hand, but you have a little, a few days under your belt of like, oh, this is, okay, so this is yeah, kind of a general outline of what it, what it ought to be. Um, and we stood up right away and he said, you'll find this is a good time to go to the window. And I was like, everything about that sounded like, uh, okay, but that's, it won't be my decision and it won't be, uh-huh. and who knows, it just sounds arbitrary. And of course, there I am at the window nine weeks later going, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Standing by this fucking window and which right. now it's too late because right. if I'm not because I'm lit and I'm standing there and so it felt a little bit of a remount of an opera well like, in that regard before. like he was very he's very bright yeah it was I felt as though and Juliet was Bridge. you know a huge star yeah and Liev was um, someone who's who is uh, very I was going to say well, he, he asks a lot of questions he talks he his process is that he that he works it all out. Yeah. And mine is not as verbal. Huh. And maybe he had more questions that he wanted to get off his, you know, chest than I had. And I would always walk out of the rehearsal thinking, I am the dumbest. Like, why don't I have all these questions? It was pretty obvious that this is what the dynamic of the thing was. I didn't have any problems per se. But it was another one of those, he saw, like, finding out mm. the same thing. Finding out your best friend has been fucking your wife for mm. however long. Mm. And it's backwards. So you have to, so that, but there comes a point at which there's a scene with Juliet and I, and she tells me that it's been ha- going on for five years. Mm. And I'm supposed to go five years. And then, and then, and then I, and then I, it's the reverse of the other point, the extra man, which is that I'm then at dinner or lunch with Liev. And I find out, so it's all... It's played, famously played backwards. It's, it's, famously it's about played an backwards. affair. It's about an affair. Uh, it's a three-hander, two men and a woman, and it's the, the best friend has been having an affair with the wife for all this time. Are they married? I can't remember if they're married. They, the, 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 we're, I'm, we're married, and he's the best friend, and they've been having an affair, and it goes from them recognizing the end of the affair back through the yeah. you know whirlwind of the affair All the back to the to... beginning when there's sort of flirting and there's who knows what about and, and there's inklings and then it goes right back to the beginning when yeah when everything is fine yeah so the end of the, so the climax is really this extraordinary state of innocence which you understand we the audience understand has been informed by everything that we've seen just happen. Right. I mean, so it was a, I remember it was a brilliant device, simple, obviously brilliant device, brilliant. because he was trying to write up this play, I think, I think yeah. about his affair with Joan Bakewell, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it narrow chronologically and then decided, yeah. oh, hang on, this really only works if I turn it the other way around, because right. then you can talk about time and there's something about what we all know as an onlookers that these right. poor dramatic people on stage don't ultimate know. Dramatic exactly. Irony exactly. I love it. I think it's the most extraordinary play. Yeah. But it sounds like you felt on the outside of it. A little bit, maybe. But I wasn't hearing anything, you know, this isn't working or you better get your, you know, you better figure this out before we're going to, you know, have to make changes or anything. I just, I felt that it was um, a different kind of expectation. And maybe I placed it on myself, or maybe I had to. I had to play an Englishman. Yeah, um, we had, all had to do that. How's that? Good. My, I have a pretty good ear, and so I could do that. And as does Liev, and we got along very well. Right. And and it was great working with him. I loved it, and Juliet as well. Yeah. She was just tough to sort of calm down about. Huh. You know, she was so accomplished and beautiful and French and mysterious and very sweet, but. I think she was struggling with. She only done one play before. Oh wow! I think she was maybe struggling with what she was getting from David. Huh? Maybe she worked a different way or something. Right. Anyway, Um, it's such a frail living organism, right? It doesn't, you know, particularly if you are three characters. This very, very opaque, beautiful but difficult play. I mean, you know, where people talk, say everything, you know, everything is talked around. Yes. That's everything the is. The whole point of it is that the, is that subterranean. the event of the play is not openly Never discussed. discussed. Sure, sure. Very, very English. And everyone gets that. And yeah. everyone knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. Except 
Well, no one. I mean, the, 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 even the player, the, the people in it know what's going on, but don't either want to admit it yeah. or admit it to themselves or, they're, you know, or for it yeah. to get out. Or, so it's, I, I, I'm by no means saying that play didn't work, that production didn't work, but, uh, because I have no idea if it did or it didn't. But just it based on what well. you're saying, right. Yeah. Do, do you think there's something very – how does it make you feel now, this, that sense of – the uncertainty, I guess every artistic venture is uncertain, right? But on stage, the uncertainty that something could not quite carry you yeah. work in the same yeah. way that, say, you know, I'm sure bits of laughter on the 23rd floor felt like they were just kind of like a hovercraft, you yeah. know, elevating by themselves. Does that seem exciting to you as you sit here now, having not done a play for, I noticed, seven years? Yeah. Is the uncertainty of getting back into a theatrical venture, not knowing how it's quite going to turn out, feel exciting or less exciting? That's the most now? exciting part. To me, oh, I, you okay. know, I, there was a point at which I realized that I'd only done new plays. Yeah. Lisbon Traviata was a yeah. new play. The Extra Man was a new play. Me Vita Loca was right. a new play. Three Days of Rain was a, a new play. All, I did Richard Greenberg, Night and Her Stars, which right. was about the quiz show scandal. All new plays. Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Yeah. So even with Neil Simon, you knew you, you sort of had a you knew you'd, what you were reading, yeah. and you knew it was Neil Simon. But you still you were working it out every night. You know, cut this, do that, put put these two pieces together, and try that tonight. You know, and can you do this? If we put if I give you this now, can we do it tonight? Right. And you, yeah, you know, and you have to learn it. And speak. Rich Greenberg was like that too. He wrote it. He'd write a new thing, and uh, and he's very precise. I mean, right. his writing is very precise down to the punctuation and. Um, Learning that in an afternoon rehearsal and doing it that evening in previews is that was the most fun there is mm -hmm. because the audience can't tell what the new piece is and sure. when, you know you sort of go over it and so betrayal was a different kind of thing where maybe that was it you're like oh shit this play if if this doesn't work it isn't because of the right, play right right and long day's journey and you go well you know this thing supposedly works. It's tried and true. Right. If so, if it isn't, if it isn't uh, hitting, it's it right. may be you. I've taken up so much of your incredibly valuable John Slattery time. Oh. I know we weren't going to talk about any other medium, ah. but, but the theatre. But I need uh -huh. to ask you: Are you directed the great Philip Seymour Hoffman? I did his last ever movie. Yeah, your wonderful film, God's Pocket. Mm -hmm. And um, did you ever see him on stage? Yeah, I did. I saw him on stage in Death of a Salesman, uh, which was before we did the movie. Mike Nichols' production with Andrew Garfield and Finn Whitrock, I think. Right. And Linda Eamond played? Linda Eamond. Yeah. And how was that? Elizabeth Morton. It was, it was before you worked together, you saw him do that. I was actually trying to stalk him Wound into him. doing this movie. Right. He had expressed interest in doing the movie, and we knew each other. We had a little, you know, we weren't hanging out, but right. we had been in a movie together, Charlie Wilson's War. Yes, yes, fun, yes, great. It's movie. a funny scene. A <laughs> oh, that scene. Funny scene! Well, it's one of the great scenes, one of the it's great terrific. movie scenes, where he keeps coming back out and goes he back in. Yelling, he's yelling at me about <laughs> not getting the. He wants to be the head of station in, in Helsinki. <laughs> I'm and laughing I, just and I don't give it. him the job because he doesn't have because he's coarse and then he breaks my uh, window with a, a monkey wrench. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's it's so a brilliant, brilliant film. But yeah, so I was I I had get, he had read the script. He was he wasn't able to do it. I didn't want to do it without him. Right. I was fixated, right. and then I bumped into him and I see he said, "How'd that movie turn out?" And I said, "I didn't do it. I haven't done it. I want, I want to." He's like, "What? What happened?" I said, "Well, I wanted to wait for you to do it." He said, "Oh, well." I, I actually have a window. But but prior to that, I went to see Death of the Salesman because and he came down the stairs and he looked at me and then he just said, hey, man. And then he just kept going. What? Wait. He came down the stairs during the show? He came down the, the stairs during... No, after the show, I was waiting for him oh, to say, okay. so, you want to do, the, do, you want to do this uh, movie? Oh, whoa. And he's... And at that the was, stage and door? And he basically went, walk, went the other way because he... I guess he didn't want to... Didn't want to do the movie or didn't want to disappoint me or... So before I, he said yes. Or was he into something with salesman? Because I think he was very, he was quite locked off during that time. I don't know an awful lot about his was. process on stage, but I think he found it very hard. That yeah. part, yeah, took I a think. huge toll on him. I think. I think it did, and that's what he looked like. Uh -huh. He sort of was. He came down the stairs. He looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders, and he looked and said, "Hey, how are you?" And, oh. and then he kind of went the other way. 
So I just, I think that was, I just kind of ruled it out. And then I, as I said, I bumped into him right in this neighborhood that we're in now. And, um, and then he said, oh, I didn't know. And I can do it in June, I think. And so we did it. And that moment outside the stage door, mm. that feels very poignant to me. It was inside stage, you know, in the wings. Oh, okay. We came down the stairs because oh. from the dressing room. Oh, you upstairs. were backstage at that point. I had right, gone inside right, right, the right. stage door. I was standing right. there waiting, and he kind of came down. And we talked about being in Nathan's dressing room and <laughs> feeling like I was running the gauntlet of language mm. of what was acceptable, how much praise was acceptable, yeah. and what verbiage would would work and what wouldn't. And what would and be by too the way, much? And by the way, I'm doing a play at the moment. I'm not doing a play. We've already established that. I'm. We've been off, but. I was reminded, and it's almost like you forget these things between these strange bouts of suffering that doing mm. plays is. You forget how horribly vulnerable yeah. you are after yeah. a show. Do you feel like that? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, you know when it's you have a good night, you know, or and 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 you you come backstage, and after you've done what you intended to do, you're a little bulletproof. Huh. Don't you think? No. It's the nights when you don't know if you got it, or you don't get the right signal from the audience that you. And then so, or you know, that's not true. You come downstairs. I mean, I remember seeing an actress who I admired downstairs after the, you know, you'd all come to the one spot and on your way out, that's where visitors would stand and, you know, what do they call it? Cruising for kudos. Yes. That's what Victor Garber said. He's, Does he say that? He's down in the lobby cruising for kudos. Um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And if you don't get that, you know, somebody goes, oh, hey, yeah, really nice. Oh, or, you know, my something, God. And they say something like, nice, really nice show. Or you yeah. want them dead. Something or you beige. Wanna, you either want to jump in front of a bus yeah. or you yeah. want to push them in front of the bus. But you say you feel bulletproof a lot of the time. Sometimes. Or if, you, if you feel like you've got it, you, you're, doing, you're doing what you want to do. It's so fascinating. I, I don't think I've ever... Quite felt like that. Uh, do you read reviews? I uh, have, and not while. I think the difference between doing something, you know, a play and have, reading the review and then having to go on that the next night yeah. is really not a good thing. Yeah. Even if it's a good review, which I've done, I've seen them bad. I've seen bad ones and I've seen good ones, yeah. and it's it's I think equally crippling for a few days for you to get that out of your head. You talk about being insecure. You know, you read something. And then that's all you can think of. Yeah. And you go, well, they didn't get it. Or right. they don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or right. no, 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 no. Or, or then even if someone says something nice, which, you know, it's... It's, it's never enough. It's never enough. Really? Who, who was it who said, oh, I, I interviewed Richard Eyre. He said, <laughs> Garrison Keeler. The, the only acceptable review to an artist, Garrison Keeler said, is arise, ye sun god. <laughs> and become uh, the leader that we have been waiting for. Yeah, right. So that's yeah. basically the only thing that will satisfy. Uh, yeah. But that's presumably why Jerry Zach said, don't talk to each other about the performances, because even that is a kind of Maybe. feedback loop, right? Which gets in your head and mm. makes you self-conscious you about should do this, you should various do Meanwhile, things. you know, we did, you know, I remember I had some line that I was reading wrong. Lou Stadden says, by the way, it's the word schmuck was it was the last word and i was going blah, 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 schmuck and he's like no no no, it's the sky is blue schmuck and i was like oh yeah you strike me i'm sort of thinking about phil hoffman who's who i remember reading once and i knew him a tiny bit too julianne my wife knew him better but we would see him around this part of town actually yeah. and uh occasionally have a, a coffee with him or something and he always struck me as someone, and he said this, who found acting very hard. Or he mm. suffered it considerably. Yeah, I mean... And for all his inordinate gifts, and I mm. should say that I think he's the greatest, you know, actor yeah, of our so great. time. But he seemed yeah. like it was very, very painful for him. And I coming think, down those I stairs so. at doing Death of a Salesman and feeling like you didn't, you know, you reached for something that was just beyond your grasp. I don't get that impression about you. Is oh, it fair? The way I maybe talk about it and, and doing it, I, I think, it are two different things. Right. Yeah, no, you get into that loop of doing a play and you are, that's it. That's yeah. all you can do. You can't, you can basically do one other thing. I could do one other thing that day no. and it might be 
eating. You know, get up thinking about it. That's it. Oh, how it went last night, or if I did it, if I couldn't do it last night, how am I going to do it tonight? Especially with the crying bit or the emotional Ugh. stuff. I mean, the comedy stuff is fragile, obviously, you know, right. and, and audience dependent and all that. But the, but the tragedy part is on you because if you don't find that delicate balance and, and get it up, it won't be there. And and it's true. I mean, they be like, oh no, whatever happens that night is is the way it's meant to be. You know, if you prepared and you gave, you know, you have to. You have to lay the groundwork yeah. every night. Yeah. I do. Get there with a specific amount of time. Do whatever I got to do to get my head in, in that place. Yeah. And, and um, let down all the defenses. That's what the guy used to say. The same teacher, Fred Caramel, he'd say, you know, who you are on the street has nothing in, in, in many respects. I mean, it has everything to do with what you bring. But you have to let that all go. Who you are outside of this thing has to all go away. Shut it all out. Let all, all the shields down and get out there and, yeah. and, and see what happens. The bloody tyranny of it when you're doing a show. Bill Nye said, is exactly Bill right. said, I've said this before on this podcast, but it, it bears repeating. Bill Nye said agreeing to do a play is like agreeing to be ill for three months. It's just yeah. the perfect description, isn't mm, it? It's so great. I feel like it's a sort of permanent migraine. You can't do anything yeah. else. You no. can't. Do anything. Migraine else. is a is a good way to put it too, because it really is sticks all in about your head me. and all about me. Migraine, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like I've got yeah. another migraine. Yeah. I'm cruising all for kudos day long. all day. All long. right. So, what are the what are the performances you've seen or the productions you've seen that have changed you? Have you seen anything in the theater you can remember that shifted something for you? shifted something i mean i remember the ones you know i remember performances and i remember thinking you know, that's the best thing i've ever seen august osage county i remember was, in, oh, was in, a night off. in the theater i saw it here me too i was with jay smith cameron and my wife and i'm not sure kenny her husband was there but we were just like the lights came up and and i i, I could i could watch another three hours me too me too. Um, had exactly that experience. Robert Morse, the great Robert Morse, yeah. was my was my pal. Learning to drive, Mad Men, for a long time. How I learned to drive? No, I no Robert. That's that's um. Ah, sorry, forgive me. That's David Morse. David Morse, also fantastic. Robert Morse was yeah. played True Truman Capote in a play called True, which he won a Tony for wow. and an Emmy for. Wow! After they filmed, I think they actually filmed did one of those film stagings, and he won an Emmy for that. And he played Truman Capote, and I'd never seen anybody even close to that loose on stage. And it was Truman Capote, so he was, and he is a kind of a song and dance man anyway. Robert is. Not kind of. Is. Was. I had never seen anything like that. And he was in all that makeup, too. So he came out, and it was just, he had been, and then by that time, by the time he came to Broadway, he'd been doing it in a couple of different cities. So he had a healthy, out-of-town run of this thing. And it's a one-person show. So, I mean, he was he was as well-oiled and in his slot as, as I'd ever seen anybody before. Mm. Well-oiled and in yeah. his slot. Yeah, he was really That's incredible. the state to which we all aspire. Yeah. Okay, yeah. last question. Do you still need it, the theater? As a, a, a performer or as a... A viewer. Either. I, I suppose I mean as a performer. Is there stuff that you still want from the theater? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would... There's an essential truth to being in a play in the theater night after night after night. There's an inescapable truth to it, in it, which is that when you find that truth, whatever that moment is, when it works the way it ideally has worked, there's no denying by anyone in that room, right. any of the people watching it or any of the people on stage or you or any, just anybody. And it's it's an undeniability of it. And it's unforgettable. Even if you forget it. Even if you, even if you you know, I've had a few and I go, oh, yeah, oh, right. And you'd have to remind me what those moments were. Right. But when it, when it happens, that undeniable, undeniable moment of success is the thing that everybody's after. And it's particularly particular to the theatre because you're getting that collective agreement about it together. You could do that stuff a thousand times on screen, but the camera operator right. is, is the only it's one who's really looking. Everybody's turned away. You're not getting that feedback right. from the liveness of it. Right. right. 
And if it's a success, and there's also the anticipate, if you can, you know, and if all the sort of circumstances align where it's a success and then it's an anticipated success and then it's a, so people are coming in expecting something. And so they're that much more of a participant in mm. it because there's mm. a, there's a crackle, a, a baited breath quality yeah. of, the, of the, the audience. And then you give it to you and you even surpass that expectation on an occasion mm. and the whole thing is just so acute and um yeah i've had a few of those and you go this is fucking crazy this is as good as it gets yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's and then someone comes backstage and tells you that and you go oh it, i'm not crazy <laughs> i see and you don't have to it worked it was, it, was every, it, it was the same it was the same for that person yeah 40 feet away, as sitting in the chair, yeah. as it was for me. Yeah. We're both without, you know, I didn't even know you were there. Right. And you come backstage and go, oh. Right. Just be very careful how you speak to me when you're telling me how great that moment, <laughs> yeah. that, moment that I know was you know, great that fame, was. You know, everybody says, oh, not tonight. You know, why weren't you here last night right. or whatever. That happens nine out of ten, eight out of nine, uh, seven out of eight shows. Yeah, it's yeah. the one show yeah. where it all, that's what we're after. Right? Yeah. It yeah. all works. The light works. You step in the right place. Everybody's yes. quiet. No cell phones go off. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's like heaven. Seven years. Yeah, that's a long time. You'll be back. The American Theater needs you, Johnny. Thank you so, so, so much for doing yeah, this. Yeah, it's been I so much fun. I loved talking to you. Thanks, me. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The undeniability of theater. He's not wrong, is he? When we feel it, we all really feel it. That human connection is unlike anything else. Okay, that was John. Thank you, John Slattery, for giving me that time. I really appreciate it enormously. Gosh, I've loved talking to everybody in my summer season. It's been just terrific. Next week's episode... Next week's... That's right. Next week's episode is... A live conversation that I had, oof, I can't remember when, earlier this year. Oh, I can remember when, early June, uh, right at the beginning of June, in London's German Street Theatre. Beautiful little jewel box of a sort of almost like a speakeasy, so tiny, but so, so lovely. Uh, at the German Street Theatre, I had the huge pleasure of talking to Sir Nicholas Heitner and to Sir Simon Russell Beale, Nick and Simon, about the nine plays they've done together. And uh, I really hope you can join me for that episode. It's, it's going to be the last of this summer season. I'll be back in, uh, in the fall or the autumn, depending on what you call it, sort of towards the end of the year with a whole new season. But um, this is a really special way to end i think stage door johnny is an off script production thank you to louise berry for exec producing thanks to acast for your support thank you to ben backhouse my producer thanks to the musicians iggy cake and phoebe cake thank you to the stage manager but mostly thanks to you thank you all for listening thank you for supporting thank you for supporting the theater thank you for being passionate about it i assume you are and it's it needs your support, and it's it's worth your support. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the encroachment of 
AI recently, as have we all, of course, because as you know, I think you probably know, um, the actors in the US are on strike, this is the ones who are members of the union SAG-AFTRA, um, and part of what they are striking for is more restrictions on what AI might do to the field of entertainment generally, but also to sort of people's image rights. And I've been thinking about AI because I went to a, a talk by a magnificent writer whose name I can't remember, who said that people seem to be in agreement that the professions that won't be, at least for the foreseeable future, affected by AI are very few. As we know, AI is coming for every single industry in the world. It's the industries that are to do with coordination and empathy that might be able to stave it off the longest. Well, I think that fits the description of actors, and particularly theatre actors. And I think that is a great reason for celebrating it, for supporting it, and for cherishing it. Because what we do, that experience that an audience will have with live performers right in front of them telling a story from beginning to end, is unreproducible by technology. Thanks for listening. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Not a line rhymes with Johnny. But here is stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. He sits in the balcony. Sees plays sad and funny. That's stage, stage door Johnny. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.